You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family. Today, we're going to have a very special and very important guest on the show today, Mr. George Abru. George is the CEO and founder of Elevate CIG, a fantastic multifamily syndication group who operates mainly out of, out of Texas, has their own construction firms. We're going to talk a little bit about their strategy in, in the acquisition environment today, what kind of deals they're seeing, you know, how being vertically integrated can be beneficial to you if you're focused in a good location, you know, on your business plans. And also just a little bit about what, what's to come you know, in the future here. So, you know, let's get right into the episode with George. And before I forget, if you get any value out of the show, folks, please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to us. Those ratings and comments are worth their weight in gold and are really the only way to increase the reach of the show. You can also follow us via our parent company, Quattro Capital, at Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Team Quattro Capital. One word, no special characters, or simply by visiting thequattroway.com. And we really appreciate all of you. If you want to drop us a note for some feedback, content requests, just to say hello, hit us at podcast at thequattroway.com. And if you want to be on the show, you can apply at thequattroway.com slash podcast. And now on to your scheduled production. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton, and I'm joined today with Mr. George Abreu from Elevate Commercial Investment Group. I love the sign right over his head if you're joining us on YouTube today. George, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good, man. Excited to, to be here with you. It's been a while since uh, we've gotten together. Yeah, it has. I, I, we were just reminiscing on that. I feel like the last time we saw each other was at one of the IMN conferences we were both speaking at or something like that. But you know, the funny thing is about being an operator in the world today is we're both very public figures. And so we, we see each other content probably more than we see each other, but you know, it's always fun. So George, you know, before we get into, you know, our discussion today, do you mind walking us through kind of your backstory, how you, you know, got into the space and, and what really made you into the George that we know today? Absolutely. So, you know, I'd like to take you back maybe to college, right? So I was studying to be electrical engineer. I quickly realized I did not want to be an engineer. So I started doing some research and, and uh, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't sure exactly what. But um, as, I, as I did research on successful individuals, I kept running into real estate, whether that's the way they built their wealth or that's the way they took their wealth to the next level was using real estate. So naturally, I started digging more into real estate and Hired a coach. This was single family back then. Started doing some deals. You know, by that time I had I had graduated with my engineering degree and I went to work for UPS in their engineering department. Um, that lasted for about a, a year until I felt comfortable enough. You know, I was doing enough deals and quit my W two. So that was roughly about sixteen years ago now. Since then, I've done quite a bit of different asset classes, different things within single family, new construction, small multifamily to eventually about six years ago now, I was introduced to syndications and large multifamily deals. 
And, um, man, I just gravitated right to it. You know, I, everything I had done till that point was all about scaling. And, you know, I started a construction company because I wanted to scale the single family because I wanted to do more single family deals per year. So it just felt right. You know, the fact that I can buy 100 plus units one shot. So since then, you know, I've been doing, I put all my focus towards multifamily and uh, acquired a little bit over 8,000 units, exited another 1,500 or so, and um, still staying pretty active. Yeah, thanks for that, George. And it, it's it's eerie how similar our stories are actually, you know, I have an engineering background as well. And like you in college discovered, you know, do I really want to do this? <laughs> Yep, eventually, yep. Uh, eventually found the space. So, you know, let's, let's jump in a little bit and talk about, you know, you're one of the operators who has a very keen construction mind, probably because you were, you know, running a construction company before you started doing uh, multifamily acquisitions. But what I'd love to hear is kind of your take today on, you know, just, just where are we from a, you know, supply chain looks very different. Pricing looks very different. You know, what, what 3000 a unit used to buy you doesn't quite buy you that anymore. You know, just in general, how do you see the construction environment today as it relates to the multifamily value add perspective? And, you know, what have you guys had to adjust? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's been a journey the past couple of years, uh, you know, with COVID and then, everything that did to the supply chain issues and a lot of it still hasn't been quite fixed yet. A lot of things we're doing different is, is ordering materials bulk and ahead of time and, and storing them, whether it's in our warehouse on site, you know, time is money in this business. We, we got to be able to turn those units. The last thing we want to be doing is waiting for materials. Um, so that's kind of how we've hedged against that is just ordering things ahead of time. And, um, you know, pricing wise, it's it's some of the things have definitely stayed pricier when it comes to new construction. Some of that stuff has come down dramatically, uh, especially your lumber and, and other items. Every once a once in a while, we'll run into usually something specialty can have a long wait, like electrical gearboxes. Right now, we're doing some hotel to multifamily conversions, and when we started that project, it was over a year wait to get that. Now that we actually closed on them, the timeline has come down quite a bit. We're maybe at like 200 days. So we're, or we've already ordered it. You know, first thing we did was boom, order it right off the bat. So yeah, I mean, we, we've had to definitely uh, make some adjustments, but but we've worked through it. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, and you know, just curious, how, how are you guys structured? I mean, I think, you, you know, you, you've kind of got a construction arm as well. So, you know, are you also acting as the general contractor on the projects correct yeah our our construction company jnt construction does all the capex or you know if it's a new build the new construction for the project yeah so let's talk about the benefits of that a little bit so you know you, you chose to vertically integrate from that perspective and i think from inception you've kind of always been that way actually did the construction company come first or did the, the... It, it didn't <laughs> a lot of people think it did but um it came shortly after the the investments. Uh, I got burned a few times by contractors, and that was enough for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I mean, that's obviously a benefit of having it is you kind of run the show. But what are some of the benefits, economies of scale? Just how does it streamline your operation? You know, having your own construction on. Yeah, definitely a lot more control, right? In in how the renovations get done, the time within that that they get 
they get done. My systems, my procedures, my company's systems and procedures that I've put in place, you know, happen on every deal. So it's consistent. It's, I trust the team that's on it. You know, these are project managers and site supervisors that I've either trained or my team has trained. So I just know it's going to get done right and done on time. So I think that alone is worth it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, th this is an interesting thing that I think a lot of people find out the hard way in any sort of construction project, really, or really any manufacturing even, is there, there's three pillars to any finished product. One is cost, the other is schedule, and the other is quality. And my little joke is pick two out of three, you know, because you usually, if you want quality and schedule to go really fast, you're usually paying more for it. And uh, if you want the cheapest cost, you're usually going to suffer on schedule or quality or both, right? So there's permutations of that. But, uh, you know, an obvious benefit of being vertically integrated is you probably have a little more control on cost. You know, you kind of control what you make into a profit center and things of that sort. So in general, you know, I would assume your, your cost structure is, is better than, than, you know, an extra layer in, in the, uh, in the renovation, but, you know, Tell me how it benefits your schedule a little bit. I mean, you mentioned you control how much time they have on site, but, you know, are you able to, to turn things faster than you were when you were using third-party construction? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, um, you know, materials-wise, we, we have everything on site pretty much from day one for the most part on all the units. The, the crews that we have working on here, it's not like we're, we're trying out a new contractor. We're trying out a new crew, right? The, these are guys that have been working for for us for, for years. Um, they know what we're looking for. They know the quality, you know, how far to take it on some of the things, right? Like you said, um, you know, if you want it to be perfect and, and you want it to be the highest quality, well, that takes longer, right? That's not exactly what we want all the time. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, very good. I appreciate that. And, and I got to ask one question. So, you know, from your early days, or I guess it could be from the vertical integration days, but you know, g give me a lesson learned. I mean, the construction is a, is a, it's a rewarding, but also, um, it will punish if you don't know what you're doing. So, so give me, give me like a little lesson learned you've had over time and, and maybe, maybe on the side of after you had your own construction company and maybe we're still developing it. You know, what's one thing you, now that you know, you would have done better at the beginning. You know, definitely. I think the biggest lesson I learned is to take the time up front and, and really do your due diligence, do take the time to, to have a detailed scope of work, to have your, your finish out specced out, to have everything lined up before you actually start the project. And wasn't always like that, right? I had to learn that the hard way, but it, it just makes for such a quicker and smoother project when you do that. And in the syndication world, it's, it's a little difficult. I get it, right? Like when you're trying to close a deal, you're worried about raising all the equity, now you're worried about the debt, right? Are you going to get retraded or what's going to happen with the debt? You got all these things to worry about. The construction end kind of gets pushed to the back, right? But let's say you close on something and you're going to take 30 to 60 days to figure out exactly what you're doing. That's a lot of time lost. A lot of money being lost right there. So yeah, that's the best lesson I can think of. You know, I, I share in that with George and I mean, it, it's, it's one thing, even when, even if you do a good job creating your plans, even if you do a good job creating scope into, it's yet another thing entirely to turn that scope, you know, into, 
into bids, into action, you know, into contracts. And I'm speaking right. from, you know, we, we are, we are so spread out across the country. There's, it doesn't make economic sense for us to vertically integrate yet. You know, we just choose to operate that way. But, you know, especially if we're taking, you know, our, our construction arm or project management team and saying, Hey, yeah, we have a plan. This is great. Now we've got to go turn it into, you know, get it into a, a formal statement of work and get it out to, to the contractors, get bids back and beat on those bids and squeeze them down a little bit, you know, all the kind of stuff that, that goes yep. on before you can sign the contract and start swinging a hammer. Similar to you, even with, you know, it sounds like e either way, if you don't do that work up front, and when I say up front, it should be happening like after diligence is done between then and close, like so that you can hit Correct. the ground running day one. But you will lose, you know, I mean, two, three, four months, in some cases, five, if you're when you get into a dangerous price environment, like we've had now where we had to rework everything. But to your point, the point you made, you're wasting money. And today that's especially a problem because you're probably still somewhat paying yesterday's pricing with higher debt. And so every month you're carrying cost with lower NOI is costing you money directly out of your pocket. This is fantastic. Absolutely. You know? Very good. Well, let, let's pivot a little bit to, you know, to, to your acquisition strategy. So, you know, you guys are staying very active. We are staying very active. I guess this, from your perspective, what do you see going on right now? Is it still a good time to buy in your opinion? I mean, let's just kind of talk through what your forward strategy is given the environment of today. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this isn't my first down cycle in, in real estate, right? You know, we can call it that. It's definitely there. I was started doing this in 05, 06. So went through 08. And back then we stayed active, right? It, well, we made some adjustments. I, I literally moved from Miami to Dallas <laughs> in 08, but um, still stayed active. And, and every deal that I purchased in that downtime, I made a killing on it. So, you know, I, I only look back and regret not buying more, right? So you know, that's kind of where we're at. It, it's less buyers, less competition. It's harder to figure it out. A lot more Amen equity. To that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to need a lot more equity. You're going to need good relationships with, with uh, your lenders. So if you're able to put all that together and you make sure that whatever asset you're buying cash flows and that you're not putting yourself into a situation with an adjustable rate and, and negative cash flow, if you can hold it for years, you know, look back historically, you're going to be good, right? The only part I'm not stressing there is, you know, we are trying to buy at a, at a low basis. We are um, negotiating quite, quite a bit. And some of the brokers do not like us right now with our offers, but they're not getting many offers. So, you know, at least we're submitting something. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you should definitely, I think it's a buy time. I think as we go into next year, we're going to see more opportunities, but I do think there's still some out there right now. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and, and case in point, I mean, the only way you really get in trouble in real estate, and you, you kind of just phrase this beautifully, talking about your 2008 experience, you only get in trouble in real estate if you run out of time or you run out of money. And listeners to this podcast have heard me say this over and over and over again. And when you think about all the ways you get in trouble in real estate, that's really what it boils down to. For example, you know, George, you mentioned try not to get a variable interest rate that gets out of control. And that, that what, what will that cause? That will cause you to bleed out on, yep. you know, on debt service and hurt your cash. Then you're out of money. That's a problem. You wind up having to sell. 
or do a capital call, which is the kiss of death if you're a syndicator. And the other, you know, I mean, think about guys right now who originated bridge debt and probably paid too much for the property a couple of years ago. There may be some loans coming due and then that, you know, those lenders may not be willing to extend with the spreads they had before. They want that money back to get it out right now, you know, at higher spread. So that's the, the time aspect. You might be running out of time. So, you know, I think what George is saying is we've got to stay in the market because right now, more than ever, you know, the, the things that do wind up trading, you know, A, there's less people in the market, means less offers, means less competition. And B, they probably have some kind of motivation. I'm not saying they're all totally motivated, but some are just still kind of dancing to see what they can sell it for. But there's, you're starting to see the, the most pain part, happen. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody's putting something for sale right now, for the most part, there's some motivation there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And let, let's talk about that for a second. So, I mean, and that's, you know, I love that you said the stuff that you bought in the last recession, you know, you made a killing on it. And, and because you were able to hold it through the recession and get back into the upswing, you know, and, and your strategy has to change a little bit. Sure. We need to look more cash flow in place rather than, buying on total pro forma, like what you can do in a, in a total up cycle where today's price is yesterday is tomorrow's bargain, you know, but, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about some of your tactics. Like how do you uncover that unknown unknown about the seller? I mean, how do you figure out in your world, like what is their motivation and use it against them, you know, to try to get that price? Yeah. We've been talking about that quite a bit as of late, as far as uh, internally with the acquisition team, we're trying to one, figure out what they paid for it and what their loan looks like. So one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to waste time on a deal where there's no equity and it, that's going to be a process, right? Even if, even if the motivation is there, the lender's not going to right away, just let you pay less for it. Right. And, and take a, and take a hit, you know, that's going to go through a whole process and it's going to take a long time. So that's the first thing we look and we, and we see, okay, do they even have equity? Did, did they buy this at a decent, basis where we can come in and, and work something out. And then if they do, the first thing we're asking is a seller carry back. You know, now's the time for it. And depending how motivated they are, you can get some pretty good terms on on that seller carry. We've done it, you know, we've got almost about 30 million right now in seller carry throughout our projects. And then from there, um building that 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 capital stack, right? And and trying to see what else, let's say seller carry is not there. Well you know, maybe bring in some private equity or JV equity. As long as you don't, I, I do not suggest doing a hard prep, right? Then then you created a whole other situation if you don't pay the prep equity. So a soft prep and then your common equity. Yeah, that makes sense, you know. And I think one other thing I might throw into the mix, and you, know, you mentioned seller carryback. It's been hard to make, you know, assumptions really hadn't been exciting, you know, in the recent past. And... I think now, now that we're seeing, you know, Fannie Freddie debt, you know, the 10 year treasury as of yesterday, it's down a little bit. This is, you know, what, what are we at? December 6th, as of this recording, you know, the 10 year treasury is down to 3.5 ish, 3.6 ish. It was around four, four, two. So you're starting to see that come down a little bit, but we're still looking at, you know, round about the high fives and, and mid sixes, depending on your leverage rate with Fannie Freddie. So. If you can find these deals or if you're investing in a deal where the operator is choosing to assume the current financing, you know, it's probably not going to pencil for a supplemental loan right now because of where the sub, the secondary rate is, but that 
couple. So if you can assume, let's say maybe 50% leverage or whatever value it is, or 60% leverage, you know, at 3% and then put a seller carry back on top of that, you guys, I mean, guys, that can be a weather the storm kind of situation and really augment the upside, you know? So that's, yeah. So we, we had only done one loan assumption going into this year. I want to think. Um, and then now this year we've already done two and we're doing a third one right now. Yeah. All in the threes, you know, some, some IO left, I mean, good, really attractive loans. So yeah, I never thought I would be this excited about loan assumption. <laughs> Absolutely. For those who know how to use it, the capital stack is a wonderful thing. Yep. Well, good deal, George. So, you know, what's next for you guys? Before we get into the quattro questions here at the end of the of the episode, what, what's next for your team as we look into 2023 and 2024 and beyond? Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to line up a good amount of acquisitions, a nice portfolio where we've been doing a lot more A-class properties than before. You know, before we were doing the uglier, the better. We'll still take a look at those. And, you know, if I can get it cheap enough, I'm there. But um, so we've been doing a lot of that and, and we're able to kind of, we found a good niche with, with developers. So buying straight from developers, even before they're, they're done with the projects in certain areas, right, that we feel comfortable. So we're trying to line some of those up already for next year. And then, you know, I think 2024, we're going to start seeing things get maybe... I don't want to say a hot, hot market, but it's going to start getting, you know, rates may start coming down and then um, just making sure we're positioned to, to take advantage of this downtime. I love it. And, you know, that's, that's a great analogy that I think you're, you're making here is, you know, folks, the, the interest rates and, and the quantitative tightening, that's nothing more than the Fed putting the economy in a chokehold and trying to, trying to choke it out, right? They, we hope they let go before the economy passes out, you know? To use that analogy, like but, that. <laughs> but Lord, when it does, you know, the, the thing to remember is the fundamentals are still there. The, the housing shortage is only getting worse. You know, rents in most of the good markets that we're looking at, they haven't even leveled off yet. They're still rising, maybe at a decreasing rate, but they're still rising. And so the interesting thing is there's a lot of capital on the sidelines, folks. And, you know, when that chokehold is released, if we see interest rates even stabilized, you're probably going to see a yep. lot of people come off the sidelines. And so we have a little window here. It's probably going to be six months, maybe a year, and then it's called close. So, uh, you know, take advantage. I agree on that, man. I, I keep saying that. Like, it doesn't even need to start coming down right now. The second that everybody sees yeah. that it's at least stabilized, yeah. that's going to open it up a little. I think it will. The second we stop hiking. So anyway. Yep. Well, good deal. Well, let's jump over to the quattro questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, George. What is your superpower in this industry and how does it benefit you? You know, I want to say just overall structuring, right? Kind of just being able to put the pieces together. Several of our deals are with co-GPs that, that bring us a deal or, and then we take it from there and kind of just start putting that capital stack together. And if we need another partner, you know, if we want to boots on the ground or, whatever it is. So kind of just putting the whole deal together. Yeah, that's, that's super valuable. You know, we're, we're in the real estate business and yeah, we're in the people business, but the capital stack is what makes you money. So that's putting the deal together. I love it. Yep. All right, George, let's put it on the flip side. So what is your biggest failure? It could be life or business. 
And what did you learn from it? Biggest failure. I think, um, you know, what I guess at one point in this journey, my real estate investing journey, I got stretched way too thin. And, you know, with all the noise out there, I was growing my construction company and that had several different angles. You know, I had a 20 salesman team on a roofing division within the construction company. Then I was doing a multifamily renovations. I was doing multifamily ground up. I was doing commercial renovations all while still doing single family renovations, single family flips, single family rentals, small multifamily. So, I mean, I was just trying to do everything right. And I kind of stepped back and I realized I wasn't really doing any of it really, really good. And when I realized that I kind of just started cutting things out and, and really focusing. Yeah, that's, that's super valuable. You know, I think focus is, is a key word in that, in that lesson. And, you know, sometimes you have to simplify it to multiply, you know, yeah. you, can, you can only do so many things really, really well. <laughs> yep. And I started counting on my team more and building a, a better team. Yeah. That, that definitely helps too. Yeah, absolutely. The who, the who, not how method, right? Dan Sullivan. Yep. Well, very good. So let's, uh, let's go to question number three here. And that one is about, you know, philanthropy. One of our four pillars here at Quattro is philanthropy. And so what I love to do is just give every guest on the show an opportunity to share, you know, your philanthropic heart, you know, where your passions lie, where you may, may give your money or times or talents and, you know, a lot of times our listeners have been known to give alongside you to that cause. So, you know, what, what is your philanthropic heart? You know, where do you like to donate your time, money, efforts, things of that sort? Yeah, I think um, one of our goals, not I think, I know one of our goals next year is to either get behind an organization as a team, right, and, and put it out there. We're probably going to start. We've talked about doing an annual event, right, where all the funds created in that event would go to to that organization, or starting our own. We haven't quite decided which one, which path we're gonna we're gonna take. If we do start something, I would love it to be something around being able to to educate the youth um, as far as financial management and just kind of real life. Um, I feel like there's none of that in our school system. So, you know, at the minimum, I, I know I, we'll, we'll probably start an internship program. I, I kind of had a, I did it with my nephew, right? I kind of tried it out and, and I, and I enjoyed it. He was in high school. That was last year. He came over for the summer um, and he learned a ton and I've seen his growth from it. So yeah, I know I didn't give you a, an exact answer there, but, but it's definitely more clarity next year. Yeah, no, I think you did. I mean, the financial education for the youth is, it's a, it's a problem. It really is, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, one last question, you know, Elevate does a lot of, you know, put, you put on a lot of content, you put out a lot of, you know, events and meetups and things of that sort. And you're also, you know, like Quattro, you're a syndication company. You're also looking for, you know, investors. So just give me a second, just to kind of tell the audience where we can find Elevate, what all Elevate has to offer you know, and uh, then we'll close the episode. Yeah. You know, like you said, we, we, we try to educate quite a bit 
any of your listeners can go to our website and we've got a ton of free content on there. We've got uh, an events page, which has all the events that, that we're hosting. Like you said, we do a monthly meetup. We're going to start rolling out a, a monthly webinar as well. So the meetup is live. And then we've been getting a lot of requests for online. So we're going to start doing a monthly webinar as well. Um, and that's elevatecig.com. All right. I appreciate that, George. And what's the best way to get in touch with you? Would it be that website or is there another way to get in touch with you directly if uh, our listeners want to? Yeah. Yeah. If they want to shoot me an email, so it's George or spelled Jorge, J-O-R-G-E at elevatecig.com. If they want to say they, they actually heard me on this podcast, I can send my arsenal of free content is what I call it. An arsenal of free content. I love it. Yes. All right. Well, George, thank you, or Jorge, should I say, depending on <laughs> what translation. Thank you for coming on the show, adding value to the listeners, and, you know, hope to have you on again soon, especially as we see how this uh, this window unfolds for both of us, right? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. Until next time, over and out. All right, Real Estate Runway family, I really hope you enjoyed that episode with George. You know, he's just a fantastic guy, knows a lot of stuff. And he's really been through a lot. So just, you know, having him on the show, I think was a great way to, you know, share some knowledge with all of you and just, you know, be calm in this environment. This too shall pass. And some of the best money ever made has been in down cycles. So don't forget, if you get any value out of the show, please leave us that five-star review and thoughtful comment. It really helps us reach the increased reach of the show. And you can also follow us via our parent country company. I can't speak English, guys. You can also follow us via our parent company on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Team Quattro Capital, one word, no special characters, or simply by visiting us at thequattroway.com. And after that, you really know that I am live, unscripted, and doing this every single time. <laughs> Until next time, friends, over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.